Welcome to The Trophy Life, the podcast that uncovers the competitive spirit that drives us. I am so excited about today's guest. It is award-winning senior producer of ABC News, Robert Zapata. Robert is generous enough to share his story of how a humble start at Supercuts ended up creating a super life. Join me today on The Trophy Life. And don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave a comment. Welcome, Robert. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming today. Of course, and what people can't see at home is that we are both wearing black today, so mm-hmm. I'm glad that we had that. <laughs> Our stylists got together. Is that right? And I, I would assume as being a journalist, you have a stylist. Is that right? Yeah, right. I wish. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have a stylist, but I do have clothes for everything you could possibly think of, whether that's a hurricane or a mudslide yeah. or uh, an Oscars uh, red carpet look to uh, a celebrity interview. Yeah, you definitely have to be ready for everything. Well, I have a few friends that are journalists, and they all have what I had when I was expecting a baby. Everybody has a go bag. So tell me what a go bag is and tell me what is in your go bag. If it's not top secret, of course. Yeah, that's one of the most interesting things that people find out about me is that I do have a go bag. It usually has uh, anything from three to four days worth of clothes, you know, toiletries, all of that stuff. But I have like cords and cables to plug in all of my devices from my computer to my iPods, AirPods, to my cell phone, to, you know, uh, external Wi-Fi's. I literally have everything in there, sunscreen. Um, And then then my go bag changes. So if I have to go off to a hurricane, then I've got to flip the go bag and, you know, have, you know, waterproof shoes and Mm -hmm. waterproof jackets and clothes, hand warmers when it gets really cold outside, because we do live shots for GMA at two, three in the morning um, on the West Coast. So yeah, you got to think of of every possible situation that you could be in uh, and make sure you have everything you need for that. I learned I learned that because I was not a journalist, but I was on the road facilitating seminars all across the country. I would get home sometimes with snow delays or whatever. I was supposed to get home on a Friday night. Sometimes I would not get home until Saturday night or even Sunday morning, and I would have to return to the airport Sunday afternoon. So I always had, like you said, that that separate bag that had all separate chargers, it had flashlights, it had, um, you know, all of my emergency numbers, um, all of those things that I needed in case, um, so I could slip in and out and just change clothes. So I always had my go bag and I learned it from a journalist. Yeah, my favorite, my favorite item, most important item is an external battery. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as much as we're on our phones these days, mm-hmm. all the emails that are coming through, you know, right. are by the time, you know, 5pm hits, our phones are almost dead. Mm-hmm. So an external battery charger is my favorite device in my go bag. My number one, because, you know, when I was traveling, I would be in different places, and sometimes the power would go out. So having a a very small, portable, high-powered flashlight, for me, I traveled with it on the plane. I traveled, like, it is, and even I've taught my kids that one of the most valuable things you can have with you, like, in your carry-on is a a high-powered flashlight, so... That's what mama says. Absolutely. (laughs) I love that. I also have the weirdest thing I have in my go bag. Yes. um, Which is helpful if you get into one of these emergency situations is a rescue me. 
It is, um, it goes on your keychain and it's a seatbelt slicer oh. and a, um, a window uh, Smasher. breaker, yeah. smasher. Yeah. Uh, I did a story on how to survive if your car plunges into a I lake. Saw or that. Yeah. And so I learned that from that. Um, and wasn't just, Matt, wasn't Matt the person? Yeah. Because yeah, I was my reporter. Yes. yes. I'm scared for he, him. He's, he is insane. He lives off of off of um of adrenaline story adrenaline yeah. he's an adrenaline junkie yeah um and i have enjoyed watching him be an adrenaline junkie and mm-hmm. produce some of those survival segments but yeah no he he intentionally crashed his car into a lake of course we had emergency personnel on hand in case right. uh, of an emergency but he learned how to escape from a car in the middle of a lake and it was it was pretty incredible to see yeah. <laughs> and an icy one at that so then wow. hypothermia sets in um yeah. on top of that but yeah no so i have one of those that i always carry with me everywhere in case i'm in, a, in, a, in an emergency like that wow well i'm gonna give a little background you and i first met um, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, we met at so-and-so's birthday party. We met at this wedding. Well, you and I actually met in a coffee shop in Korea. So yes. during the Olympics, you and Matt were doing a story on Adam and you interviewed me. So mm-hmm. what is that like? Like, what is that like? One minute you're in a hurricane, the next minute you're at the Olympics. Like, how does that work? First of all, it's so fun. It never gets old. I love getting the phone call last minute that I'm off to some city I've never been to or some mm-hmm. country I've never been to. It's it's exciting. I, I think that's also part of the, the adrenaline junkie in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also grew up not traveling much. So mm-hmm. it's that's why it's even more fun for me because these are places I would could have never imagined as a yes. child uh, traveling to. My first international flight was when I was 20 uh, and I visited a friend in Tokyo and that was the first time I applied for my passport. Uh, right. And before that, I would say my first flight was like to Walt Disney World also right. as a 18 or 19 year old. So um, it's fun. It's part of the job. You know, we as a producer at ABC, as a field producer at ABC News, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my job is to go to where the story is. You know, right. we don't have producers and correspondents across the country. So they, we, they really rely on some of our, you know, satellite bureaus outside of New York to get to those places quickly. Um, so yeah, so that's the job. Um, and then you hit the ground running and start reporting and start interviewing people and mm-hmm. doing your live shots and and telling that story. And so it's not a very glamorous job. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of loss of sleep, and it can be stressful at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really meaningful to be a part of that star- storytelling process. I think that surprises a lot of people. You know, because I've interviewed people that were like the star in Disney on Ice, or they traveled with a Broadway show, and people assume that a limo picks them up, and they are, you know, shuttled off to a five-star hotel. And I was surprised at the highest level, like meeting anchors and seeing like what the accommodations were, where they were staying. And I thought, what? They're not in a penthouse apartment somewhere? They're not. I think people forget that. It's your job. You know, this isn't your vacation. You're not going on a trip. It's your job. 
you know, to. Oh, it's um, so, it's so funny. My boyfriend all the time, he hears some place that sounds interesting or intriguing to him. And he goes, can I go with you? (laughs) I'm not going to have any time free. Like, sure. You can come with me, but you'll be on your own. Uh, Yeah, no, it's not glamorous. You know, we go to some places where, you know, there's literally uh, uh, some sort of lodge that you've never heard of, like no name lodge in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, your fear is you're going to get bed bugs. Like (laughs) sometimes it's that gritty. Um, and then other times, of course, you you land in a really great city with some great hotels. Our the field producers and correspondents are so obsessed with our points, though. That's yes. the plus side is the so traveling so much. Yeah. You you know you yeah. get to collect all your points, mm-hmm. so that at least when you go on vacation, you'll have somewhere nice to go. Right. Um, so that's the plus. So yeah. So we and we have like group chains where we're like, did you get? Did you know you could get this points? You know these mm-hmm. amount of points if you do this or get Switch this it to credit the points, card, guys. And, yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're, we. Mm-hmm. Love it. We're obsessed. We were the same when I was traveling as well. You know, we were members of everything and I tried to, the company would allow you to rebook your hotel so that you could pay the difference. You know, if they had you at, you know, Pete and Mary's Comfort Inn, you could pay the extra $50 and stay at a Hilton or Marriott. And And for me, it was worth it to get the points, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Especially mm-hmm. if you're going to, you know, if you're going to just be traveling so mm-hmm. often, at least there's some sort of plus to the lack of sleep <laughs> mm-hmm. that you have. But it's great. I love it. You know, it's funny because I, when I was going to college, this was the job that I wanted. I mm-hmm. wanted to be a field producer. I wanted to be out in the field traveling the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've traveled to some 30 something states. Um, but I, and I want to say about 20 or so countries. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really great. What they don't tell you though, Kelly, is mm-hmm. that you have to goal set again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in college, they tell you, you know, what what do you want to be, you know, even growing up your whole life, what right. do you want to be when you grow up? And then mm-hmm. in college, I thought, what do I want to be in life? I want to be a field producer. And then you become a field producer. And they don't tell you you have to then come up with a new goal and a new dream and a right. new challenge. Right. Um, so it's been interesting uh, navigating those waters after. Well, being a journalist, that was not your, and one of the things that I talk about in my book is about a valuable encouragement that parents can give their kids, and that's getting a job while they're still in high school. Because not only does it afford you a little bit of spending money and independence, there's nothing more empowering than seeing your name with a check, even if it's for like 20 or $30. It is just brings a glow. Learning to take direction and to Um, absorb criticism, and then be able to assimilate that into positive action or improvement is so important. And listening to someone outside, you know, to be autonomous from your parents, not to listen to a teacher, because the teacher reports to your parents, but a boss. So tell me about your first job. You know, I my mom worked evenings. And so I was often home alone after school. And I think that I just really wanted structure. I just really wanted something to do and someone to say, this is what you need to do. Um, And so I was, you know, I, I begged my mom, like, could I, can I get a job? I wanted a job as soon as I turned 15, I knew I could get a work worker's permit. I knew I could work weekends and it was what, 12 hours, 16 hours, whatever the law was in California at the time. But 
I just craved it. And she did. And I'm so thankful that she supported that move, though she did say you're going to work the rest of your life. (laughs) So are you sure you want to start now? Mm -hmm. Um, And I did. I wanted to sort of, you know, be ahead of the game. I also knew my other friends who were older, as they were trying to get jobs, it was harder for them because they were competing with others, other kids that didn't have um, didn't have the same experience or had better experience. It was hard for them to break through in their first right. job. Um, so I got a job at Supercuts. I was a receptionist. You know, I took appointments. I cleaned right. the floors. I cleaned the cones. You know, washed right. the towels. And it provided structure and it provided that sort of uh, level of experience that you need to move on to, you know, your next job um, right. and the next part of your career. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. I really did. I, I like, yeah. I took on every project. Like I wanted to be the one that hung up the signs for the holidays. You know, right. I wanted to be the one that talked to the customers about hair products. I mean, right. I didn't know much, but I just learned, you know, through osmosis from the, from the stylist there. And it was, it was a great first job for me. To me, it sounds like you were practicing, you know, that emotional intelligence, you know, being able to socially interact and read people and rapport build. And that is such a skill that can truly propel you in the field that you're in. Because when you're a field producer, you have to go and you have to talk to all the locals, you have to get to make sure that you're allowed to stand next to this historical building, what the safety zones are, and all of those additional things that, you know, when you're going into a city that has Ebola, what are the medical conditions? What are the precautions? So that's your job, right? To protect the talent and to protect the team. Is that right? Yeah, that that's, yes, first and foremost, as a field producer, that is the first responsibility. Also, you have a responsibility to guide the story, uh, mm-hmm. to come up with ideas, who to interview. You know, visually, what should we be filming? Mm. Does it is there the shot so dynamic that maybe we hire a drone operator to you know film uh, a different part of the story? Um, right. So yeah, the, the storytelling is also as much a part of it as the the logistical side of things. Mm-hmm. And I love the creative part actually mm-hmm. more of the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'd find me when I was during my off times, when I'd be, you know, in the office waiting for that next phone call, I'd be looking online for other stories or places that I've never been. I still have this dream of going to the Amazon and filming in the Amazon. So that's like one of those, you know, sort of um, stories that I have in the back of my head when I'm in my free time, where then I start researching, like what's going on in the Amazon right now. So <laughs> we could try to go there. What about on the fi- the um, Magic Picchu? Have you been there? I haven't. That's okay. a that's on my list of places to well, go. Well, you know what? You, when you go, I need to be your your emotional support mother, and you need okay. to take me. Take <laughs> you need you. to take well, me. It's funny. I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, you and I spoke about yeah. like going to on a road trip, right, to different yeah. um, national parks, parks across the country. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We st- I still owe you that trip as yes, well. Yes, the five parks in Utah. And you know, there are some people that I just super connect with. And sometimes they sit next to me on an airplane. And sometimes, you know, we're waiting in line at the bank. And I end up being in their wedding, or I end up, you know, going on a trip with them. <laughs> and like you and I are one of those people that I feel, you know, when I knew that you were in those fires in California, like the first thing I did was like, leave the dinner table, grab my phone, like type in, please be careful, please keep in touch. Like, I need to know that you're okay. Like, we have that relationship because I think of your superior rapport building skills that you set up because it was actually Matt that did the interviewing. 
Mm-hmm. You you were filming, right? Yeah, I was and, filming and producing. And yeah. setting everything up, yeah. So it was so strange that... You know what it was? I So we had met Adam I, in January of the same year at Nationals. And we interviewed a, a group of figure skaters. And Adam was on on the list as I was talking to Matt, like, you know, you have to, mm-hmm. you you have to interview Adam. You know, I don't know if he's at that time, we didn't know if he was going to make it to the Olympics, right? Because right. the nationals was sort of that final, right. um, what, what is it called? Com- competition in right. deciding who goes, mm-hmm. right? And so, but I was like, he has such a great backstory and he's such, you know, is mm-hmm. a representation right. of not only success, but also representation for the LGBTQ community. Right. And this is historical. And so, you know, we really went into that interview, not knowing much, but after right. that interview, I thought like, I, I, I want to know who his supporters are, like, who are the ah. people that helped him get here? Mm-hmm. And so when we eventually met, and after hearing your story and hearing you talk to mm-hmm. Matt, I felt like just connected in a different way. Yeah. You, you reminded me of my mother in so many mm-hmm. ways, and sort of mm-hmm. the support that you provide provided for Adam. Yeah, I just kind of I looked yeah. up to you. And I looked up to uh-huh. the sort of relationship that you guys had. It was just very it's just very sweet. You know, it's funny because I there are many there are people like you that I have developed a relationship with over the last say three years or so, and uh, you, you know some some of you have lost touch with Adam, and I'll say something like, you know, did you hear about Robert's promotion or did you hear you know what else? <laughs> and it's like, who who are you talking to, Mom? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're breaking news for yeah. him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but. It's funny that many people that he knows at first, I become close with, you know, so um, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you th- working at Supercut so that you became a super rapport builder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was, I mean, that was, that was part of it. Also, I think I was lucky. I was in a program in high school. Um, give a shout out to Lakewood High School and the Odyssey Academy. Mm-hmm. But it really was a college, it was a college preparatory program in high school. Right. And, you know, it, it, that's so cliche, because there's so many college preparatory courses. Yes. But like, thinking back on it, it so was, you know, mm-hmm. they, they taught you resume building, they taught you interviewing skills, they yeah. taught you like life skills that otherwise I wouldn't have known. My mom didn't graduate high school. You know, like I didn't have, um, I was the first person in my, in my family to go to college, um, even in some of my extended family. So I didn't have, you know, someone to look to for mentorship in my family. Um, I kind of was like figuring it out along the way and then grasping at all of the, all of the life skills I was learning from either work or from school or from my teachers um, and really used that to get me to the next part of my career. I mean, the audacity, right? Like the audacity of someone who's never been to college, whose family has never been to college to then have to, you know, to, to, to think that they can, that they can accomplish such, Mm -hmm. such an accomplishment. I mean, it's looking back on it. It was, it's a difficult journey for someone who doesn't Mm -hmm. have, someone to guide mm-hmm. them that you know what we're very similar because I'm the first person in my family to go to college and my mentors were the people on tv that I saw I saw Julia and I saw Joe Mannix and Hawaii Five-O <laughs> and you know mm-hmm. Mrs. Partridge and I saw like okay think like everything is possible 
So who was it in your life other than your mom when you were at that school? Because when you come from a family who has a limited perspective and is just grateful to pay the bills and not be behind, who said what to you that said, not that you deserve more, but more is possible? Because we all deserve more, right? But we have to believe that it's possible. Who was it that got, gave you that? Oh, gosh, that's such a great question. I don't, I guess the short answer is I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know if I've ever thought about that, mm-hmm. but I will say I was always a dreamer. Yeah. I was that kid who was just always very curious of what other people's lives were and what mine could look like right. if I had the same opportunities. You know, I I have a performance background, yeah. you know, I, I did musical theater, I think. So I think I have, my mind is a little bit more creative. And right. so I allowed myself to dream past what I was able to see outside right. my door. Maybe television yeah. <laughs> gave me that. No. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think sometimes it might not be a teacher that leans over that says, you're good at that. Sometimes we see who we want to be in a show on television or a movie or in a book. You worked for one of the most creative companies you still do. Um, And I do think that that probably opened up a lot of doors of perspective that could have been in your head that limited you because you worked for a company that believes it's never done. It can always be better. And that's Disney. So tell us about what happened when you worked for Disney. Like, how did you work your way up to um, what I consider a dream job? I started my, I had a friend who worked at Disney uh, as I was graduating high school and she worked in attractions. And I thought that was so cool. Like I wanted to run the rides. I wanted to run Pirates of the Caribbean and be in a costume. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I applied, uh, I couldn't work in attractions because I wasn't 18 yet. I graduated when I was 17 and they said, well, we have this job in foods and we can offer you 30 to 40 hours a week. And so I took it. You know, I wanted the job that gave me the most amount of money, especially because I was going to be traveling 30 minutes minimum and hour plus in traffic. So I wanted to make the best out of that job Mm -hmm. going all the way to Anaheim from where I lived in Long Beach. And I took it up. Um, I was a busser, but uh, I I wanted something more. I wanted Mm -hmm. something different. And so uh, I applied to become a barista. I worked at the coffee shop there. I learned how to roast coffee beans at the coffee shop, which was pretty cool because mm-hmm. you roast coffee for for all of the resorts, which is which is awesome. And I think many people didn't know at the time. Mm-hmm. But I missed performing. I did musical theater in high school, um, a little bit in college, and so they were they were auditioning for the 50th anniversary parade uh, at Disneyland. And I thought that was my chance to get back into performing. And I auditioned, very intimidating, hundreds. And I would say, Mm -hmm. yeah, probably even over a thousand people auditioned for this show or a couple of shows that they were offering that year. So, but I landed, somehow I landed a role uh, in in Parade of Dreams as Flotsam and Jetsam, the eels from, from, Ursula's eels from The Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the beginning of my entertainment career at Disney uh, and just opened so many doors and, uh, you know, allowed a wealth of networking opportunities, um, dancing there. I mean, I know, now I know people all over the world because of my friends um, working at Disneyland so many years ago. And then that eventually led to an internship at 2020 in New York. I was reporting for a college news magazine show. 
Mm-hmm. And I went to the women's conference at the time. Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor of California right. Right. and his wife, Maria Shriver, uh, had a women's conference every year. And uh, I was there when I met uh, some HR recruiters for ABC. Um, and I just happened to walk by their booth um, going in between places um, that I was filming. And I started talking to them. I told them that I had applied for this internship at 2020. I didn't hear back. And um, she said, email me and I'll connect you. And so that chance meeting at a booth at a women's conference mm-hmm. that I was reporting at mm-hmm. uh, got me the internship at 2020, uh, which then op- eventually opened up more doors when I graduated college, eventually moved back to New York and was looking for a job back in the industry, but was having a very difficult time doing that. It mm-hmm. took me seven months to land a job at back at ABC as a production assistant. But that's those seven months were very difficult living in a place that's very expensive uh, and not having the financial um, help from my family um, right. just because, you know, they couldn't. Mm -hmm. Um, helped me financially. And I just kind of had to do it on my own, you know, so I worked at Starbucks for a little bit. And that's, that's the interesting thing, you know, looking back on that moment in my life, it was, Mm -hmm. it was probably the most, I don't want to say depressing, but I would say I was depressed at times. Mm -hmm. um, Because I moved on the other side of the country, without any family living there, Mm-hmm. Just a few close friends, mm-hmm. um, you know, sleeping on a couch for two months until, you know, me and my roommate found another house, uh, another apartment to move into together, you know, living, you know, I didn't have a, a job for a month. I finally got a job at Starbucks. It wasn't enough. It was just enough for me to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. I was taking home the expired food, you know, that that yeah. would be thrown in the trash. Mm-hmm. I took that home and I ate that as my lunch for the next few days. And it wasn't like, you know, right. didn't have mold on it, right, right. but it was like maybe a little stale or hard. Of course. But like, you know, it was a very difficult time. I, I, I often questioned why did I move across the country? I could, at, right. I could have at least been at home with my mom to support me. Right. But I had to take that chance or I just wouldn't, I would have always wondered, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I could have made it, if I could have made a career out of, you know, moving to New York and I held it together. I gave myself a year and I said, if after a year, I can't find a job in this industry, I will move back home and figure something else out. And thank God, seven months into living in New York, a producer who was one of Barbara Walters producers um, remembered me for my internship, knew that I was in New York looking for a job and got wind that they were hiring production assistants for what would you do and Facebooked me and said, are you still looking for a job? Wow. And it was as easy as that. Yeah. I had been, I was, I was in everyone's inboxes. I was applying for every single job out there and no one was calling me. I had friends helping Mm -hmm. me. It wasn't working. And literally it, it literally took a Facebook message um, that changed my life forever. And changed the tra- trajectory of my life. Uh, and I came in the next day, applied for the job. And that night they called me and said, you can start in two weeks. Wow. Um, and it was as easy as that. <laughs> wow. You know, I've been doing a lot of research lately on the idea of belongingness. And it's so fascinating when you tell me about like taking home the expired products, they tell you to th- just throw out or whatever. And you can certainly throw them out at your house. I'm sure there's no 
you know, breach of Starbucks principles there. But right. the idea is that it's not that the food is spoiled or that it's poisonous or whatever. It's the idea in your head that you have this fabulous education. You have 10 years under your belt of working really hard and it doesn't fit. What we see as garbage does mm -hmm. not fit with the life that I'm creating. So it's not so much that the food was bad. It was the message of eating that food that you're kind of surrendering. Yeah. Sometimes people don't see the multi-layers of our actions, that that's really what holds us back. Because if you saw this as, wow, this is clever. Like, I am working and I'm feeding myself. Good job. But th mm -hmm. somehow in your brain, you say, bad job. I'm eating garbage. Yeah, it was... It was a difficult time, but I am so thankful to have gone through yes, that. Yes. Yeah. You know, it makes your wins even that more special. You know, when you yeah. know you've been in a place so low in your life yeah. that you can appreciate where you are and not take that for granted. And you can see more wins because the Absolutely. age that you're at now, you can reflect back and say, I was winning. Like I was working and I was feeding myself all in the same job instead of the time that you were in where you saw this as a wall that was holding you back. And really it was giving you strength to be resilient. You know, you were Absolutely. learning resiliency. Yeah, because now any time that I have a bad day or any time, yeah. you know, that I feel like I'm at some sort of low in my life, right. I have proof. Mm -hmm. I have proof that I have been there right. at some point in my life right. and I have gotten out of that. And right. I was able to fight my way out of that mm -hmm. and come to a better place in my life. And so I, I mean, that is, a, that is a, an organic <laughs> life experience that happened yeah. to me. And, you know, reflecting back on that, it was mm -hmm. absolutely a lesson of resiliency. Right. And unless you have that moment in your life, you've ever been down hard on, you know, hard on your luck, mm -hmm. you, you, you will not learn that. Where right. else would you learn that resiliency? I think that that is the problem with, you know, all of us, no matter, you, I say to like, someone will say, you know, you kind of, you're dark. I haven't seen you post anything on Instagram. I like your inspiration. And I said, you know, I'm an authentic motivator. So when the motivational speaker gets sad or depressed, we're not machines. You know, we don't just like turn out a Hallmark greeting card every day. <laughs> you don't see me because I don't have anything authentically thoughtful to say that day. So how do you do it? I mean, I'm at, there are so many times, even though you have a, a, you know, a huge tool set of how to reframe things and how to transition things because of the experiences, like you said, moving cross country, not knowing anyone, not having a job, really like testing yourself and challenging yourself to connect to not just a job, but a career because you, you had a job, you had a means of making money, but it wasn't what you had specialized in and what you went to college for. So you're seeing tragedy. You're seeing, you know, when I saw you out in California with um, the fires and pe like everything from kitchen utensils to, to like strong boxes down to ash. And then I see you with the next thing, putting the, the ship going to turn into a hospital in Los Angeles, and then you're in a hurricane. And then didn't I see you in Africa? Did, were you in? I was in Ethiopia during the plane crash. Yeah. Yes. That's when I was so nervous. 
this <laughs> because I thought like, you know, Jim and Bob's aviation is how you probably got to where you were going. And I was thinking like, oh, my God, do they even get high enough in the plane that they close the windows? Like, <laughs> how do you do that? Like, how do you? And then how do you say, like, come back and go to a friend's birthday party and relax? Like, what what is your formula for keeping sane in these insane times? It's well, it's definitely compartmentalization. Mm -hmm. And that I think is like on the job training. I think after you experience so much destruction, so much heartache, you learn how to protect your own heart. Um, You know, we're not robots. You we're obviously all human but you have to, you know, it's like, you know, you're like, okay, well, I have to, I have to do my live shot. I have to get my job done. I have to, you know, but, but it is taxing on the heart so much, you know, and you do have to, and you're talking to people who've lost their livelihood, who've mm-hmm. lost their homes, who've lost their loved ones. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to, go there emotionally, you know, you want to go there, you want to be there for them, especially after a while of, of having experienced that so much, Mm -hmm. you know what they're going through, not because I've been through it, but because I have been on that journey with someone else who's been through that, you know, that to get through that moment, you have to find a way to separate yourself from that. You also learn that while journeying through these awful moments in someone's life, you realize how precious life is, Mm -hmm. how precious those relationships are with the people in your life. And so I come back and I want nothing more than to reunite with my family, Mm -hmm. to, to see my friends my boyfriend and my, you know, and, and my loved ones, because in a split second, your life can change. And you, and I see that, I see that every single day in the job that I'm in. And I think that that's how I get through any sort of emotional moment or something that has, Mm -hmm. that has really affected me so hard is by spending time with my family Mm -hmm. uh, and just sharing love with them and Mm -hmm. laughter because that's just, it's so important. You know, when you were a dancer, you had to do a warm up, you know, and then you had to challenge yourself because there was a routine. And then there was like, you know, a double pirouette. And you're thinking, I can do a quad. I can do like, you know, I can do those 32 forte turns, you know, in Swan Lake, like you you challenge yourself to those things, right. Mm -hmm. But I think with you, the, the emotional flexibility that you have every day, you're seeing people win the lottery in the morning. And then in the afternoon, you're seeing someone who was gunned down and lost three members of their family. That flexibility, you know, you're seeing, you're being stretched into so many different ways. Like if neutral feeling is zero, you're you're 100 in sadness, and then the other side 100 in happiness. So I think that that flexibility really gives you such an I f- because you, we're there, we're very different in age, but I feel like we're friends. Like of, we have so much in common, and I think that has given you miles of wisdom. Being able to witness so much. When I was teaching, Walt Disney has a thing called a business model called the Disney Way, and they believe. And I actually incorporated in my book, in the chapter called Grace, about 
making the in-between moments count, because that's what Disney was famous for, they said that the waiting should be part of the journey. Like It, it isn't like once you get on um, Magic Mountain that the experience happens. The experience right. should happen as you enter the, the park. Because mm-hmm. they set the tone, they have the music, they have, um, you know, different things that catch your eye. They always tell you where you are. They always say you have 35 minutes left till you get to where you're going. But they give you something to do to add value to the waiting. Mm-hmm. So that whole structure of the Disney way, I that's how I raised my kids. And it seems like um, for you, you really try to see value in the moment of being the observer because once you're the subject like you said you know once you pull yourself in to be part of that victim's story you lose yourself you know you really need to be on this side of witnessing and being that witness is where you gather more and more experience and and that wisdom that i find so interesting one of walt's biggest quotes was stay curious and you'll always be interested so how do you stay curious? I watch a lot of television, mm-hmm. um, although I'm a cord so it's more like, you know, Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, yeah. um, you know, that kind of television. I love documentaries. Me too. I do. I love as much as like, you know, my job is all nonfiction. I also just love watching nonfiction mm-hmm. um, because there are some great storytellers out yeah. there that I, I think challenge my, yeah, mm-hmm. and they challenge your own sort of perception Mm -hmm. of storytelling. Um, There's so many creative people out there. So I love watching um, television. I love watching movies. I'd like to read more than I do currently. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do love reading. I love reading nonfiction as well. I think that's how I stay curious. I also just love exploring new places. I love, I mean, I talk, talk about going your whole life not going anywhere and right. then getting a job where your whole job is to travel places. Go everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, on, to- on top of that, I have added additional places that I have gone to in my career just for fun. In 2019, in November, I went to Africa for three weeks. I had only gone to Africa once when mm-hmm. I covered the Ethiopian plane crash, but I had always dreamed as a kid. I was obsessed mm-hmm. with Egypt. In college, I took Swahili uh, classes. Mm-hmm. Um in hopes that one day I would go to Tanzania or Kenya. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I found a really cheap flight to Nairobi and I went mm-hmm. to Kenya and I went to Zanzibar, which is an island off the coast of Tanzania. Right. Uh, I went to Morocco. And then I was really smart and resourceful that I pitched two stories uh, in Africa that I could stay just a little bit longer and explore a little bit more, but through mm-hmm. storytelling. Right. And so um, I went to South Africa and told a really great story about a woman who uh, had been in The Lion King on Broadway. She was mm-hmm. uh, Rafiki. She, after after some time in on Broadway, moved back home to her home town in South Africa. And she helped create a business for a lot of the moms Mm-hmm. Um, in this small town, and they created all of these beaded animals like giraffes and zebra. And then Lion King sold them on Broadway, and it raised money for um, for AIDS. And so mm-hmm. um, it raises money, and it goes right back into the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that story, and then I did a story on saving the black rhino in Tanzania. You know, I always try to find ways to 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 go outside of my little bubble. I Are think you that's writing also... all this down? I hope 
I hope you're writing all this down <laughs> and creating a book someday. Everyone says that. And I haven't. It's all right here still because I mm-hmm. just haven't found time to. I need to but send you man, a tablet. I need to send you a tablet. Like just a blank I really tablet. Yeah. I really should. Um, I have a lot of photos and a lot of memories. You know, talk about wisdom. I think when you go to places that you've never been and experience mm-hmm. other people's stories, whether that's for work or for fun, for pleasure, right. it really shows you a different reality that's out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just makes you want to fight harder for those people, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's through storytelling. For me, it's by being a journalist. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what, that's what I do. That's fulfilling for myself Mm -hmm. um, is tell other people's stories. And when I see other people and I experience other people's stories, it just gives me uh, more of a push to keep right. doing that. Well, what it, what is a story worth telling or what is a story worth sharing? What are the merits of that story? I think for me, it's, uh, I always ask myself, what's the intention? Uh, I read somewhere that Oprah, um, that, you know, she did a lot of that, that tabloid mm-hmm. uh, talk show, mm-hmm. you know, as sensational uh, shows back in like the beginning of her career. And she hurt somebody. Somebody was hurt because of a story that she did. It changed their life and it changed Oprah's trajectory of mm-hmm. her show. And she said, I would never do that. I will never do that again. I will never make somebody feel generous that they felt on her show. Right. And so she started asking her producers and herself, what is the intention? Mm. You know, why are we doing this story? And it forced people, it challenged people to think in a different way, not just doing the story because it was sensational or was funny or we're making fun of something, but actually doing it for the right reasons. I, when I heard that, I incorporated that into my own pitching and my own analysis of a story. What's Mm -hmm. my intention? What's the Mm -hmm. reason for doing this story? And I will give you a good example of a story that I'm very proud of that we developed and pitched. I did a story about homelessness in Los Angeles in Skid Row, on Skid Row. And, you know, I'm sure in many communities across the country, you will see that homelessness has become a very big deal in our country. And in LA specifically, there are 60,000 or there were at the time there were 60,000 people experiencing homelessness. And I wanted to tell that story and we just weren't sure how to tell it, but we found a uh, fire department on Skid Row that services the community of downtown Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and primarily this area of Skid Row. And they they don't fight many fires, but they Mm -hmm. provide a lot of medical uh, care Mm -hmm. and attention to the people living there because they don't have primary care doctors. So anything from, you know, a a sprained finger to a cardiac arrest, Mm -hmm. you know, they are there to help the people living on Skid Row. And so that was our way in to that story and learning that a third of people living on Skid Row are dealing with mental health issues, learning that a third of them are dealing with substance abuse uh, problems. And then another third of them um, need help finding a home, you know, can't afford a home or there are not enough shelters for them. Mm-hmm. That was one of those stories where kind of to give you an example of like, mm-hmm. what, what is my bar? What do I, what stories mm-hmm. do I tell? What stories are important? It's those that I think people are not shining enough light on and ones that need to be 
a focus out there that I think people should know and that people should understand. Because I think it's very easy for people to say, you know, we just need more homes. Mm -hmm. But you forget about the fact that we also have to work on the mental health of people. That's right. You, if somebody is mentally ill and they don't have medication to That's help right. stabilize them, and you give them a home they can afford, well, it doesn't really fix the problem That's right. that caused them to be homeless. If someone is, is struggling with substance abuse issues, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't fix the problem. No. And so I think that, you know, if, if we can be, if we can help be a conduit to discussing these larger issues right. um, in our lives, um, then I think that my job is done uh, and and that's success to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so so anywhere where someone someone's story isn't being told mm-hmm. or should be told, I think you know that's those are my intentions to help shine a light. Well, one of my heroes in when I was doing corporate training was Stephen Covey and his seven habits. And what you just explained to me was one of his habits was start with the end in mind. So mm-hmm. if you know, what you want to end up with, you know where to begin, right? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you know absolutely. what your guardrails are, what your guidelines are. And I think when you have trouble too, when you're when you're thinking about writing a script, you know, like, oh gosh, I don't know how to start. Where is mm-hmm. this going to go? I think you're absolutely right. You know, the same strategy would apply mm-hmm. for that. You know, mm-hmm. what? Well, where do you want to end? <laughs> right. What are you trying to teach someone, or what are you trying yeah. to show someone? And then you go work backwards. Well, someone would ask me, they would, you know, ask for advice on writing a, to write a pitch for a book. And I said, well, first, I want you to figure out what do you want that agent or that publisher to feel when they end the last sentence? How do you get them there? So start with the end in mind. Mm. Yeah. So I've had such a great, I could talk to you all day. I wish this was like a mini series, but it's not. <laughs> it's a podcast. You're fascinating. We can always talk offline. Off yes, of, of course. I'm not privy to anyone else, what we say to each other. But there is something that Disney stands for. And it says, if you are going to be successful, you have to be in it to win it. You have to be in all the way. So to wrap it up today, um, all of those you know, competitive behaviors that you challenged yourself with. Um, what is it that you are in it all the way for? Like, what principle do you stand behind that you are just not bending on? Open to learning, open to mm-hmm. learning new things and taking on new challenges, mm-hmm. even if you're scared, even if you think you're not worthy of that, you, you know, you don't think you have the skills to deliver. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, that is the only way you can grow. You mm-hmm. know, it, you will always be presented with something that's challenging in life and you can't run from it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, you have to be your best advocate, push yourself into being uncomfortable. It's okay. That. We all feel that. We all feel those same feelings of being uncomfortable doing something new. Early on in my career, when I was a production assistant, on the show, what would you do? We would Mm -hmm. make a scene, we'd come out with our cameras and John Kinos would come out and interview the person who was a part of the scene. And we'd have two professional cameramen had been doing their job for decades. And then there was Mm -hmm. a third camera. And the third camera, they'd always give to a production assistant or associate Mm -hmm. producer to just get like a wide shot, like just a dirty shot of, of the of you, you know, maybe you'll have the camera and you know the cameraman in your shot, and that's okay, just to give like a production shot. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember when they offered that camera to me, I'm like, I don't know how to use this camera. I don't, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't have the skill. Like, I don't know what I'm doing with this camera, but you know, the, the cameramen were like, yeah, you should do it. Learn something. You'll be a better producer if you know how to use a camera, because you think about it as a producer, you're just sort of help direct in the field. And unless you know what you like, when you look through a camera, you know, how are you going to be the best producer in in telling your cameraman what Mm -hmm. you want, uh, what shots you want in your edit room when you're putting your story together. And so I did, I took that challenge on and they were right. I'm glad they pushed me into learning how to use a camera. And I often, even still to this day in the field as a producer, will use my camera, will mm-hmm. shoot my own stuff, mm-hmm. you know? And that also makes me valuable right. because when we're trying to save money or, right. you know, cut some corners and costs, I don't have to hire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have to hire a cameraman. Mm-hmm. I can do that myself and be just as I've good. I've seen your drone stuff, that. which is amazing. Yeah. Another example of yeah. something that I was, you know, asked um, if I was interested in learning how to drone and ABC taught us how to drone. They hired yeah. someone who's the director of flight ops who taught us how to to be drone pilots. And actually that is one of my favorite parts of my job is yeah. droning. It's yeah. just, it's so calming and soothing and um, and you can capture so much beautiful imagery on a yes. drone that you can't in any in any other way. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything. And my biggest takeaway with our talk today is to stay curious, and your life will always be interesting. So I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Well, yes. thank you, Robert, for visiting with me today and uh, thank you sharing so much. your experiences. This was on so me. great. Thank yeah, you. This was what what a treat. Thank you. Thanks. For more information on what influenced my trophy life, check out my new book, Parent Up, Inspire Your Child to Be Their Best Self, available at all of your favorite bookstores. As always, you can find me on Instagram at krippon. For questions and comments and more information, check out my website, kellyrippon.com. Thanks for listening. And see you next time.